Coming Up is a podcast brought to you by the dedicated and diverse volunteers at 3CR. Just a quick message before you get there. For the month of June, we're asking listeners to donate to the station to help keep us going. In 2023, we're asking our community to stay tuned, stay radical. We rely on the generous donations of the community to survive. Go to 3cr.org.au slash donate and show your support for community-owned and community-run media. Thanks for your support and happy listening. Welcome to 3CR and the Dogs Program. The Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools are here every Saturday at 12 noon. Always. We don't we don't fail you because we don't want to fail our public schools. They need to be defended and promoted. And that is exactly what we are doing. And we have a very interesting program for you this afternoon. There's been quite quite almost a red letter day in Victoria. The Andrews government has decided that they will tax wealthy private schools. As you probably know, dear listeners, we hear a lot about the billions of dollars going in direct grants from both Canberra and the state government to private schools, particularly wealthy private schools, but we don't hear very much about the other taxation expenditures, the exemptions. They are exempt from all kinds of tax because they are labelled charities. But Andrews has labelled all private schools who charge more than $8,000 in fees businesses, and he is going to ask them to pay payroll tax. Now, this is a very interesting move indeed, because government schools, our public schools, all have to pay payroll tax, and all businesses, small and large, pay payroll tax. But... The private schools don't, and they don't pay any rates and taxes either, and they don't pay any income tax, they don't pay any taxes because they are exempt. But here is a very interesting development again. So our press release, 983, deals with two things in the state budget. In real terms, the money given by the Andrews government, the state government, to our public schools is down, it is not as it should be given uh, inflation and the CPI index. And guess what? The, the unions are not happy, but uh, some teachers are blaming the unions because they haven't uh, been aggressive enough in uh, demanding more money. And uh, the other thing, of course, is the uh, taxation issue that I've just been referring to. So over to our press release. 983. Thank you, Jane. This is press release 983. Victorian state budget. Public education sold short, but chink in the private school bonanza. Despite an increase in overall expenditure, high inflation and student population growth have combined to deliver state schools an effective funding cut this year, according to a state budget analysis by the Australian Education Union. 
the AEU. The AEU has found that state school students will suffer an effective 2.7% cut to funding in this week's state budget. Australian Education Analysis has found. The state budget includes a 5.8% increase in total school funding in 2023 to 24 to $14.03 billion. State schools will get $12.66 billion of that, while the remainder will go to the Catholic and independent schools. But once the budget's 7% inflation rate and a projected 1.65% increase in enrolments this year is factored in, the public school system faces an effective 2.7% funding cut, the union's analysis shows. The union is calling foul at this point, but many of its members are disappointed with its lack of stamina in confronting the Andrews government. Perhaps the Victorian branch of the AEU could learn something from the NSW Teachers' Federation and its president, Angelo Gavrilatos. However, the Andrews government has done something almost unprecedented. It is effectively questioning the billions of dollars that the private school sector receives in taxation exemptions by virtue of the fact that they are, believe it or not, charities. And this will be the legal question if they appeal the decision of the treasurer. Are high fee paying or indeed any fee paying private schools, charities or businesses? Private religious schools do not have to pay any tax, while public schools are forced to pay payroll taxes. In a very interesting move, the Andrews government has targeted high-fee non-government schools to help pay down the state's $31.5 billion worth of COVID-19 debt. About 110 schools will lose their long-held exemption to payroll tax, which Premier Daniel Andrews characterised as a sweetheart taxation deal, from July 1st next year. The change will raise a forecast $422.2 million over three years. About 110 of the state's highest fee schools will lose their payroll tax exemption from July 2024. The change will also hit the finances of many mid-fee schools. The change will net the state more than $420 million in revenue over three years. And it's too soon to say if schools will pass the tax increase onto families. The change means that many private schools will, for the first time, pay two other levies on top of their new payroll tax obligation, the mental health levy that was introduced last year and a new temporary increase to payroll tax that was announced in Tuesday's budget. The schools will have to pay 4.86% payroll tax and the additional two levies, which will add each add between 0.5% and 1% to the tax bill of affected schools, depending on their size. About 110 of the state's highest fee non-government schools will lose their payroll tax exemption from July 2024. The budget papers say the change will affect roughly the 15% of schools that have the most expensive fees, though many mid-fee schools will also pay more. Premier Daniel Andrews said private schools have had a sweetheart taxation bill that was not affordable in the state's current financial situation. They have had a preferential tax treatment for a long time, and they're running businesses, Andrew said. These schools have always been judged to be in a unique category. They have not been eligible for our other support. They are not low-fee schools. They are very high-fee elite schools, and therefore they're in a very different position, and they have now a tax treatment that recognises their profitability. More than 130 independent and Catholic schools in Victoria charge fees above $7,500. The sum at which schools are defined as high fee 
and therefore ineligible for government support programs such as catch-up tutoring or capital grants. Most of those schools are expected to lose their long-held exemption to payroll tax in an Andrews government measure to pay down the state's debt. Non-government schools have reacted with alarm, warning it will force them to raise fees and cut educational programs. But so, what's new? The private schools are continually threatening to raise fees if they don't get more and more of taxpayers' largesse. And even when they do receive more public money, they raise the fees anyway. Dogs commend the Andrews government for their courage in taking on the private school lobby. However, they look forward to the demand that these private school businesses accept their fair share of the tax burden, not only in payroll tax, but also land tax and stamp duty on their billion-dollar assets, as well as their council and water rates. Back to you, Jane. Well, there's our press release 983, and you can read it on our website, www.adogs.info. But uh, the private schools, of course, are not happy, and uh, Dale's going to tell us about their reaction. Over to you, Dale. Thanks, Jean. I've got an article here by Adam Carey, Madeline Heffernan and Rachel Eddy, the reaction of the private schools. Victorian private schools that charge more than $7,500 a year are warning they will be forced to increase fees, cut programs or shed staff to pay millions in payroll tax from which they were previously exempt. One top school said it could be up to $7 million a year worse off and other worried parents struggling financially would be prompted to withdraw their children. More than 130 independent and Catholic schools in Victoria charge fees above $7,500, the sum at which schools are defined as high fee and therefore ineligible for government support programs such as catch-up tutoring or capital grants. Most of those schools are expected to lose their long-held exemption to payroll tax in an Andrews government measure to pay down the state's tax debt. Premier Daniel Andrews said private schools have had a sweetheart taxation deal that was not affordable in the state's current financial situation. They've had a preferential tax treatment for a long time and they're running businesses, Andrews said. These schools have always been judged to be in a unique category. They've not been eligible for our other support. They are not low-fee schools. They are very high-fee, elite schools, and therefore they're in a very different position. And they have now a tax treatment that recognises their profitability. But Independent Schools Victoria Chief Executive Michelle Green said all Victorian schools were not-for-profit organisations and Independent Schools' long-standing exemption from payroll tax recognised that they perform a public good. Green urged the government to reconsider, warning that, 100, that the 112 independent schools expected to be su- subject to the tax will either have to cut programs, services or staff or increase fees. The Catholic Education Commission of Victoria said that the tax would probably apply to 25 Catholic secondary schools, potentially wiping up to a million dollars a year from their operating budgets. The Commission said it would seek further discussions with the state government as a matter of urgency. 
A government spokesperson declined to confirm the 7,500 threshold, but said it had an established process for separating low-fee from high-fee schools and would provide more detail before July. School principals began to write, their write to their communities on Wednesday, warning parents that the tax change could force them to make cuts to educational programs in areas including child mental health. Mark Robinson, principal of Oakley Grammar, which charges about $12,000 a year for year 12s, said he'd been blindsided and was greatly concerned by the new tax. That will mean for us, approximately a $700,000 cost to the school. So before we even start our budget for 2024, we're starting with $700,000 less money than what we should have. And that's very concerning for us and should be concerning to the parents, he said. The payroll tax would flow on to school fees, he said. The fact that Oakley Grammar is considered high fee, that is any school over the 7,500 threshold and therefore subject to payroll tax, just defies any logic, he said. A school like ours, both parents and both parents are working very hard to send their children to our schools, so any incremental fees that unnecessarily goes up causes hardship for many parents. Bacchus Marsh Grammar, one of the state's largest schools, charges $13,215 a year in year 12. Principal Andrew Neal said it was being hit the same way as those that charge more than twice as much. Governments of both extractions seem to think that independent schools have an infinite ability to deal with their smart tweaks. We don't, he said. This will result in higher fees and more pressure on government school places if indeed they were actually building enough in our part of the world. Professor Gillian Blackmore, an Alfred Deakin professor at Deakin University, defended the move, arguing that most schools on the list were wealthy enough to absorb the increased tax. If the state can forestall their building program, so can the schools, I think. They can just redirect their resources, Blackmore said. They have assets. The schools that are going to be impacted, I'm sure, have significant capacity to call on funds. Australian secondary school prices have almost tripled in the past 20 years, the third biggest price rise behind only tobacco and gas and other household fuels. The principal of Caulfield Grammar, one of Melbourne's largest private schools, wrote to parents on Wednesday slamming the unfair and arbitrary tax change and warning it'll cost the school an estimated $6 million to $7 million a year. Ashley Martin said it was difficult to comprehend that the government would impose a tax without consulting schools in the midst of a teacher shortage and a mental health crisis amongst students. Caulfield Grammar has more than 3,300 students and more than 500 staff. This would also make it liable to pay mental health and COVID recovery levies, each worth 1%, on top of the 4.85% payroll tax that non-government schools have been exempted from before Tuesday's budget. Martin said it was presumptive to assume that families can foot the bill for this poorly planned tax and levy increase. To ensure that we're doing what's best for our students and educators requires careful investment and, target, and targeted initiatives, Martin wrote. This unforeseen material cost increase will impact in independent schools' ability to deliver on initiatives, which takes years of planning and implementation. 
Jewish schools have also raised the alarm about the new tax, warning that it could put the cost of a Jewish education out of financial reach for many families. There are eight independent Jewish schools in Melbourne, most of which charge high fees. Australian Council of Jewish Schools Executive Director Leonard Hain said the tax would force schools to raise their fees by at least 4% a year. This is on top of the annual fee increases already imposed on our parents to cover the escalating cost of power, utilities and materials and increases in staff salaries and wages, Hain said. Hain said that a third of families enrolled in Jewish schools received fee assistance and that requests for fee assistance had been rising. Many of our parents are already under considerable financial strain trying to cope with escalating housing costs and the cost of living pressures and are making enormous sacrifices to provide their children with a Jewish education, he said. So that's the reaction of the private schools to the proposed payroll tax, which is incredible considering that all state schools already have to pay payroll tax and they are doing it with the least resources. And these schools that are complaining are incredibly asset rich, not to mention investment incomes that come in that are not being counted by the Charities Commission. So there are other ways to look at their so-called shortfalls other than charging parents more money. But of course, that's why Andrews is doing this is because it is about profit. It's not about them being a public good. These are businesses, profit-driven businesses. Back to you, Jean. Well, thank you, Dale, and uh, we'll have a break. But before the break, we'd like to remind you that uh, it's Radiothon time and uh, we would like you, if possible, to uh, contact 3CR and uh, pledge your, your donation for this year to the DOGS program. Uh, if you would like to ring 94198377 or go to the website 3cr.org.au. 3CR's annual Radiothon fundraiser launches in June. We need your financial support to be independent, community controlled and focused on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon keeps the station radical and enables us to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference and all donations over $2 are tax deductible. 3CR Radiothon, show your support during June 2023. 3CR, stay tuned, stay radical. all about a voice in our own country. We've got a reason for screaming out, where's our voice in this country? You know, not that I want to be a part of the Constitution for that, you know. That's why 3CR is so important to, to me and this community here. We've got a voice, but it's not, you know, we're entitled to a bigger voice than what we've got, but it's all about having a voice. Subscribe to 3CR, fiercely independent and community controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 9419 8377. We hope you're still listening to 3CR and the Dogs Program. We're going off to the UK. Jeff is uh, going to tell us about how the lesser classes are going to Oxbridge and the the people who think they are the upper crust 
they're asking us to spare a thought for them because they're a persecuted minority. Well, it's a bit tongue-in-cheek, but over to Jeff. There's an article in The Guardian by Francis Ryan, which is an opinion piece, and it's, it's very tongue-in-cheek. Uh, you might say sarcastic. It says, spare a thought for Britain's new persecuted minority, the privately educated. Uh, they're losing their grip on Oxbridge and Labor threatens to strip elite schools of their charitable stash status. It just won't do, she says, tongue in cheek. Spare a thought for the upper middle classes. Buying a private school education in the UK used to be enough to get into Oxbridge or at the very least become prime minister. But the tide may be slightly turning. New research shows private school pupils are up to a third more likely to get into Cambridge if they move to a, sixth, to a state sixth form. Students who stayed at private schools for A-levels had an acceptance rate of 19% last year, but those who moved from a fee-paying school to a grammar school or public school or a sixth-form college had a success rate of about 25%. Similar data from Oxford wasn't available. Ian Mansfield, head of the Education at Policy Exchange, head of education at, the, at Policy Exchange, told The Telegraph that the figures suggest universities are discriminating against fee-paying families. This just demonstrates why universities should be selecting on ability, not discriminating based on a child's background. If Ian's mad now, wait until he hears about these things called private schools. This latest research reflects the wider trend of rising numbers of state school pupils getting Oxbridge places in recent years. In 2022, the proportion of places offered to state school students was 68% at Oxford and 72.5% at Cambridge. Almost a decade earlier, it was just 57% and 61%. That's definite progress. But it's so less so when you consider that 83% of A-level students go to state schools. At the same time, influential jobs acquired post-uni are still monopolised by the fee-paying sector. Those in politics, the judiciary, media and business are five times more likely to have been to private school than the general population. Simply put, a few less rich families are getting into Oxbridge but they are still dominating every aspect of society. When you're used to being on top, equality or even mild progress feels a lot like oppression. Faced with this injustice, parents of private school students are reportedly trying to game the system by registering under an obscure relative's address in order to access a top-ranked state sixth form. The Times reported the case of a capable but pony-loving teenage girl who had been moved from her day school to a selective state school in a tough neighbourhood for her A-levels. How on earth will she cope? A family friend asked the paper. How far are we willing to push social engineering and at what mental cost? It's a good question. How far are we willing to push social engineering? Very far, it seems, so long as the social engineering is tilted towards children who have been born privileged. This is the galaxy brain of the British class system, where state school pupils getting opportunities is discriminatory, but private school alumni buying access to Oxbridge is fairness. While affluent parents can cry foul at the slightest encroachment of the state school children into elite institutions, the rest of the population is never allowed to object to the centuries-long dominance of private schools. Just look at how the right-wing press spins any debate, debate about the issue as the politics of envy. Private school advantage is so embedded in this country that even the mildest attempt to balance the scales is greeted with hysteria. As we head towards the general election, expect this hysteria to ratchet up to DEFCON 1, 
There are fears that if Labor gets into power and removes charitable tax breaks from private schools, some parents will no longer be able to afford the already inflation-hiked fees and will have to put their children into the state school sector instead. As one mother told the paper, last week she is sick and nervous at the thought. We all have our fears. Mine is a clown that when it turns around is actually Michael Gove. But at a time when more and more parents lie awake at night worrying how to feed their children, it would not be unreasonable to suggest that public money should be, not be spent subsidising those whose biggest concern is sending the offspring to the local comp. And yet, even such a minor policy change is met with resistance, often on the grounds that would punish ordinary people who scrimp and save for private school fees as if a nurse would be able to afford St Paul's for her sons if it wasn't for that pesky VAT rate. The reality, of course, is that rather than ever being in reach of the average family, private schools are a bastion of the elite, and that's exactly the point of them. If the very establishments that symbolise and perpetuate elitism are open to the masses, the purpose of the private school system starts to unravel. The pushback from wealthy families losing their hold on Oxbridge places is simple. Certain families want to gatekeep their power. That's a great article. So back to you, Jean. Oh, the poor little UK rich people. We'll have a bit of a break and then we'll have a look at what's happening in Australia. I'd just like to invite our listeners who would like to pledge a donation to the DOGS program at 3CR to do so over the next couple of weeks so that we can read it out when we go to air on our Radiothon show. We are a pre-recorded program because COVID is still with us and some of us are immunocompromised. So we will be pre-recording our Radiothon program on the 14th. So if you could get your pledges into the station before the 14th of June, we'll be able to read out your pledge on air and say thank you for helping the dogs and 3CR stay on air for another year. You can go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate or you can call the station on 94198377. Get ready to add your support during our annual Radiothon. Stay tuned, stay radical. 3CR Radiothon Fundraiser, June 2023. To donate, call the station 0394198377 or donate online 3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon 2023. Stay tuned, stay radical. For an easy way to keep up with your annual 3CR subscription, you can now set up an annual debit from your bank account or credit card, and once a year your payment will be automatically deducted. You can cancel at any time and you'll get a reminder each year before payment. Be a constant supporter of Melbourne's precious independent community radio station and set up a recurring payment today. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe well uh, we're now going to talk in, uh, in Victoria about international students many of whom are enrolled in our TAFE colleges a lot of the international student education arrangements are Ponzi schemes 
there's a lot of corruption going on in it. And the students come out here and they are in trouble. In fact, they are end ending up homeless and hungry in this big city of ours. And we're going to hear about this now. Thanks, Jean. So Caitlin Cassidy is writing about international students and how they are at the brink, um, ending up homeless and hungry. When Julian Lebeek received a scholarship to complete his PhD at a prestigious Australian institution, he didn't expect to be homeless and living through a pandemic. After COVID delays forced him to extend his submission date at the end of 2021, his scholarship of $1,128 a fortnight ran out. For the next eight months, the international student experienced bouts of homelessness and of being unable to afford rent or food. International students could not access government support during the pandemic, but were allowed to work up to 40 hours a week. But Lubik said working this much was impossible while studying full time. Although I, although I had a casual job, this wasn't enough to cover rent, living expenses, transportation, overseas health insurance, medication, food, he said. International students are considered cash cows, not humans. International students are going hungry at an alarming rate and more support is needed to help them manage while in Australia, new research has found. The Monash University report provided exclusively to Guardian Australia surveyed more than 60 international students in Melbourne last year and found they were being burdened by the rising cost of living, prohibitive transport costs, and the difficulty of juggling study and work commitments. There are 182,000 international students currently living in Melbourne, representing almost 40% of Victoria's entire university population. The report found almost half those surveyed experienced food insecurity, triple the rate of the wider population. About 12% of Australians experience moderate or severe food insecurity, which occurs when individuals can't access sufficient, nutritious and culturally appropriate food. The rate rises to around a quarter for those under 25. Co-author of the report, Dr. Beatrice Gallo-Cordoba, said she was shocked by how at the brink of hardship the interviewees were. Often surrounded by stigma that forced them to struggle silently, leading to lower academic performance and well-being. They'd say, I'm okay. And if you dug deeper, they were working different jobs and lived in accommodation they didn't like or they couldn't afford to pay, she said. She said international students need more support, including with food relief, financial support, vouchers or scholarships. We need to make sure links between communities and students are built faster. Where the go-to to find food, different jobs, the feeling of having a community, she said. It's a story of struggle when you first arrive. We want to avoid that experience. Universities have a responsibility of care to try to build those connections, but they can't do it alone. Co-author Professor Lucas Walsh said many students had to implement coping strategies to get by. One 27-year-old male student who was surveyed <clears throat> said he didn't choose what to eat. His wallet chose for him. When a crisis like COVID-19 or the cost of living crisis hits, many of these strategies stop working, Walsh said. It's not just in health terms. It can mean a sense of belonging, connection back home, something that can be fostered and nurtured. 
International students are silent communities that fly beneath the radar and we need to pay more attention. We need to embrace the idea we're welcoming them. Another student, a 25-year-old female, said her relationship with food had changed since arriving in Australia and was directly showing on her body and energy levels. The Greens spokesperson for education, Senator Maureen Faruqi, said Australia was failing international students through the pandemic and cost of living crisis. It's a disgrace. Governments and universities treat international students like cash cows, enticing them to come to our shores, but then leaving them high and dry during tough times, she said. With sky high rents and a cost of living crisis, Walsh said it was unlikely the situation would improve in the short term. International students were a hugely vulnerable population during the pandemic. And there's wider research its effects will have a long tail, he said. The pandemic is not over. It's definitely some true words spoken there. And anyone who has studied full-time at university knows that it is incredibly difficult to work a 40-hour week whilst studying a full-time load. Um, That is a great article there. Back to you, Jean. Yes, well, that is a great disgrace, really, that we have students in this city of ours that are homeless and hungry. But uh, we're going off to America now with Jeff, and he has a very interesting story to tell. Uh, Not all Christians, even in America, um, even Baptists, are um, right-wing Trumpians. Many, going back into their early roots, are separationists, church-state separationists and can see that the voucher system is just another way of giving state aid to religious organisations. So what's happening in Texas? Over to Jeff. Thanks, Jean. This is from Diana Ravitch's blog, which is, uh, as you know, Diana Ravitch is a, a powerhouse of support for public education in the United States. And this is a good news story from Texas, where religious leaders have actually been instrumental in stopping uh, the expansion of private education in favour of public education. So this is a rare win for the for the public education uh, voice in America. So the article is from the 28th of May and Texas, no vouchers in Texas. Abbott vows to call special session. So um, she says the Texas legislature refused, refused to, part, to pass voucher legislation. Governor Gregor Abbott said that getting a voucher law was his number one priority in this session of the legislature. In America, vouchers are used to fund private schools instead of public schools. The idea is you can take your public money and spend it wherever you like, but of course this depletes the funds for the public education system. So I'm just that's my words anyway. Going back to the article. Republicans have a supermajority in the legislature, but rural Republicans and urban Democrats blocked the bill. He pressured every Republican to back his bill. Once again, vouchers failed to pass. In rural Texas, public schools are often the only school in town and the biggest employer. Public schools are the heart of the community. Parents, aunts, uncles and cousins went to the public school. The teachers are well known and respected. Rural Republicans said no to to vouchers. The Pastors for Texas children have worked diligently to stop vouchers in Texas, PTC. PTC issued this press release today. No vouchers in Texas. The Texas House of Representatives has once again stopped a private school voucher program in Texas. Republican Ken King's public education 
funding bill, HB 100, was saddled in the waning days of the session by Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick with a 100-page Senate substitute calling for universal ESA vouchers. When the House refused to concur with the substitute, the bill was sent to, to conference committee where it died. Although Governor Greg Abbott made private school vouchers his number one priority this legislative session, the House was crystal clear in their opposition to it. Three times throughout the session, they repudiated a voucher proposal. First, the Herrera Amendment, prohibiting tax money for private school vouchers, passed the Texas House of Representatives during the budget debate on an 86 to 52 vote. Second, the House refused to grant the Public Education Committee permission to hold an impromptu meeting to push out Senate Bill 8 calling for a universal voucher. The final straw was when the committee failed to garner the votes to pass out SB 8. The plan died in committee. That's when the Senate, in a last-ditch effort, attached a comprehensive voucher program to HB 100, which would have provided much-needed funds for local public schools and well-deserved teacher pay increases. Representative King did not mince words. Teacher pay rises held hostage to support an ESA plan. Teachers are punished over a political fight. The session's rejection of vouchers is particularly powerful because Governor Greg Abbott made the passage of a voucher policy an emergency item. This legislative session conducted a statewide campaign in anti-voucher House districts and personally lobbied House members on the chamber floor to pass it. Vouchers are fundamentally unjust and inequitable, said the Reverend Charles Foster Johnson, founder and executive of the directors and executive director of Pastors for Texans Children. It is wrong for public tax dollars to be diverted to subsidise the private education of affluent children. To pay for religious education is an especially egregious violation of both the public trust and of God's moral law of religious freedom. Governor Adam Abbott has tied up the entire legislature this session at the cost of millions of tax dollars for his own petty personal political agenda. Sadly, his stated intention is to continue calling special legislative sessions until he bullies the House into submission. There is only one way to deal with a bully, a firm, patient and courageous confrontation, precisely what our morally oak-strong caucus of pro-public education, rural, Republican and urban Democratic House members can provide. The Texas State Constitution in Article 7, Section 1, calls for the suitable provision of public free schools. There is no constitutional provision for public funding diverted to private schools. Pastors for Texas Children is grateful that the Texas House of Representatives once again stood firm as they have throughout the 30-year voucher debate in Texas for the true conservative value of universal education for all Texas school children provided and protected by the public. What great words from uh, a moral uh, religious figure who's standing against uh, the ideas of, um, of private education. Well, thank you, Jeff, and thank you to the people over there in Texas that are fighting the voucher systems. But uh, I've got a very interesting article from New South Wales. This is close to my heart, as you know, I'm a great centralist. I believe that uh, the education system needs a good centralised bureaucracy which is dedicated to the wellbeing of public education and should only employ those people who are prepared to send their children to, to public schools, not private schools. And in the last uh, 20, 30 years, 
our bureaucracies have been run down quite shockingly and our teachers and above all our principals are left without centralised support because there is this uh, ideology. It's an article of faith that devolution and self-managed schools are somehow better than schools that are part of a system. By the way, the Roman Catholic Church doesn't believe this and they have centralised their systems quite dramatically in the last 20 years, at the same time as the public system has been decentralised. But the interesting thing in New South Wales is that uh, they were following Victoria, which started this with Kennett in the 1990s, these uh, self-managed schools or school, school autonomy, uh, which, as I've just said, has been an article of faith for many conservative politicians and some economists around the world since the 1970s. But up in New South Wales, two international management consultant and accountancy corporations were engaged by the New South Wales Treasury between October 2009 and January 2010. And their job was to conduct a detailed financial audit at the New South Wales Department of Education and Training and at the first New South Wales government agency which was submitted to this process. This was done to provide the New South Wales Treasury with an economic rationale for local schools, local decisions. That, that was the, um, the way they described it. It sounds good, but of course it's been a disaster. But the interesting thing is, in the current situation that's confronting Canberra and consultants, the overarching work was done by a Boston consulting group and they were to undertake a scan of the procedure, the expenditure, uh, and look at other agencies too. But the second corporation engaged to undertake complementary work was Price Waterhouse Coopers, PWC. This is the firm that has been uh, two-timing our government about tax matters. And the really interesting thing about this was that the Price Waterhouse Coopers report showed how the government could save millions and millions, hundreds of millions, by getting rid of workers, not just teachers, but their support structure at the central office, the central department. And that was essentially what PWC was, been, was about and has been about ever since. And that actually is what has been happening up in New South Wales and it's also been happening here in Victoria. Our teachers are now walk, walking away from the schools and principals have to be um, dragged almost screaming to even accept a school uh, because they have no longer any good support structure at the centre. And this is a very interesting report that has been written uh, by a gentleman called uh, Laurie Mulherin from the New South Wales uh, Teachers' Federation because the Teachers' Federation have been on the edges of this, fighting it for the last decade. And the strange thing about all of this is that educationists like to talk about evidence-based decision-making and there is zilch evidence almost 
from the OECD, around the world, all the audits that have been done indicate that school autonomy is not working and has never worked and is still not working. And there is a lot of academic work in this field that uh, is now justifying this. But the governments, which have been more interested in saving money and not taxing the wealthy, have wanted to just push what is in fact an article of faith with no evidence at all. And now they are confronted with teachers and principals who are quietly, definitely walking away. So uh, I find this a very interesting uh, article indeed, and I'm very grateful to Laurie Malperin for its, uh, Murray Malperin for writing it. It's a very learned article with a lot of information, and you can find it on the New South Wales Teachers Federation website. But that's enough from me. Let's now get on to positive things. May the 21st was Public Education Day. A number of very prominent Australians have voiced their support for public education and Dale and Jeff are going to tell you about them. Thanks, Jean. And this first statement by supporters of public education is by the Honourable Michael Kirby, retired High Court Justice. Uh, public Education Day, he says, public ed education in the time of COVID-19 and at all times. I am proud that my entire school education was in public schools. It began at North Strathfield Infants and Primary School. It continued at Summerhill OC class. It concluded at Fort Street High School. Wonderful teachers, excellent values, appropriate discipline and focus, lifelong friendships, a continuing indebtedness. Recent advent of COVID-19 has imposed added pressures on public schools, their staff and students. However, the shining values of public education have continued and even strengthened. Our public school teachers and staff have adapted brilliantly to the new technology of safe distance teaching where required. This has demanded new talents and fresh insights, but the principles of free, compulsory and secular education have remained the, remained the bedrock, together with the values of equality and democracy. Public education was one of the grand experiments adopted throughout Australia in colonial times. It remains one of our nation's most precious features. We must guard it, support it and fund it properly. The Honourable Michael Kirby. Another public education advocate for our public education day is Marilyn Parker. She says... The professionalism, resilience and creativity of our public school teachers have never been more obvious to us. The majority of Australian families who send our children to public schools. You lift us up as a nation. You make us proud of who we are and what we can become. It is wonderful to get this opportunity to tell you how much we value your high expectations and your unstinting, often unacknowledged and seemingly inexhaustible labour. We thrive because of you. I want to say thank you. Thank you for it all. Thank you for all of those late working nights, the constant worry about how to deliver such fraught in such fraught times and that endless striving to do better. I hope you hear all the voices on this day thanking you because they are just a small part of those who want to let you know how much you and your work are appreciated. We are deeply grateful. 
We want you to hear all of this praise. You deserve it all and more. We say loudly and proudly that we honour and respect you for who you are, our public school teachers. And lastly, because I can't resist this chance to stir the pot, please be political. Everything you do, from what you teach to where to where and how you teach, has been politicised. So be political. Go to meetings. Join your professional organisations. Join your union. Be part of the political discussion, not just the fodder. For all that you are and all that you do, your voices so very much deserve to be heard now more than ever. Shout and don't stop. We are with you. Uh, those words are from Marilyn Parker. This statement about Public Education Day is from Pazi Salberg, the Finnish education expert who lives in Australia now. Uh, he says, in my global education mission, I've often been asked, what is the most important thing that you learned in school? Much of what was taught to me I have forgotten, but one lesson will stay with me. Experienced-based understanding that we are one, but not the same. I spent 12 years in public schools as a student with a wide range of different youngsters from varying backgrounds. Still, we learned to be together, accept our differences and respect one another as human beings. On my professional journey, this has been critically important that has influenced me as a teacher, husband and father. But public education in Australia differs from what I left behind in Finland a couple of years ago. We live in Sydney now where our children go to neighbourhood public schools. If I would have the power to change one thing in our public education, I would make sure that public education would be 100% public. Everything that children and parents need should be paid by the government. And more than that, public schools should be funded so that these schools that serves children who need more support and special care to succeed should get enough resources to do so from the nation's education budget. During COVID-19, that is more important than ever before. This pandemic, pandemic exacerbates and the effects and awareness of pre-existing social inequalities in our society. Strong public education system is the best guarantee for our nation to recover from the crisis with a minimum harm to our children and each and every one of us. Thanks for having me with you in this. Pazzi, Professor, Professor of Education, University of New South Wales, Gonski Institute for Education. Another supporter of Pub Public Education Day is Julia Gillard, and she says, I first became a supporter of public education in 1967. That was the year when, as a terrified five-year-old migrant girl with continuing traces of a Welsh accent, I started at Mitcham Infants School. I can easily recall how big the play area seemed and the unfamiliar routine of filing in and out of classrooms. But I also remember the kindness and professionalism of the teachers who wanted their young pupils to both learn and find joy in doing so. My public education continued at Mitcham Primary School and Unley High, all in suburban Adelaide. Like every child, I liked some teachers more than others but and had my share of playground spats and varied in the degree of interest I had in different subjects. As a result, not every day of school was fun but every day mattered. It would have been impossible for me to have lived the life I have without my great public education. However, my schooling was about more than getting out the best in each individual. It focused on creating a sense of togetherness, of community. With its welcome all comers attitude, public education is and has always been dedicated to creating the best kind of society. It teaches us to accept, respect and share. 
to be an open-hearted and inclusive Australia. For that, on this day, we say thank you loudly and proudly. And that was Julia Gillard showing her support for public education. And, of course, the dogs show their support for all of those involved in public education and public school communities. We thank you. We love you. Your work is invaluable and we'll continue to fight for you. So happy Public Education Day. Well, yes, we, we tell you how great public education is every week. And here is our good news story, the Great State School. Every week on the Doctor Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. And this week's Great State School of the Week is. Broadford Primary School. This is a statement that I'll now read for you from Janine Cooney, who is the principal down at Broadford Primary School. Broadford Primary School is located in central Victoria, 87 kilometres north of Melbourne, just off the Hume Highway in the lovely town of Broadford. I am very proud to be the principal of such a great school. We provide a safe, happy and stimulating learning environment where every child is encouraged to believe in themselves and achieve their full potential. We have high expectations of all our students and expect excellent social and learning behaviours. Our school promotes the values of respect, responsibility, resilience and readiness. Our dedicated and highly competent staff work collaboratively to create stimulating classroom learning environments with a strong emphasis on literacy and numeracy. We understand that each child is unique and differentiate the curriculum to suit the needs of each and every learner. Specialist programs include performing arts, visual arts, physical education, and Auslan to stimulate and engage our students and complement the core areas of literacy and numeracy. We pride ourselves on the positive relationships we maintain with our school community. Parents and guardians are encouraged to take an active role in the education of their child. Our staff welcome parent involvement in the classroom and on a range of school activities. Communication is essential as we partner with you in the education of your child. Our newsletter is published on a fortnightly basis to share student achievements and learning, reflect on school events and activities, and provide additional information about upcoming opportunities for our school. For our current parents and carers, we have a private school Facebook and use Compass to enhance our communication between the school and parents students and staff. What a great message from Principal Janine Cooney. It sounds like communication is very important at Broadford Primary School. Now some facts and figures for you from ACARA. The school has 348 pupils. The ICSIA value of the school is 971, which is below the average of 1,000. This is mainly a disadvantaged rural community. 6% of students have parents from the upper 25%, the upper quartile in income. 16% of students have parents that earn an income in the second highest quartile of income. 32% of students have parents that earn an income in the second lowest quartile of income. 
And 47% of the students who go to Broadford have parents that earn an income in the lowest quartile of income. 6% of the pupils speak a language other than English and 3% are of Indigenous parentage. This is a school full of semi-rural students with a dedicated principal and teachers. It costs the taxpayer $12,754, well below that of any private school, to educate a student at this school. The school receives only $911,000 from the federal government and $3.5 million from the state government. 94,000 from fees and 54,000 from private fundraising. Only $471,902 for capital grants in the last three years. All this public and private money is money well spent. The NAPLAN results indicate that the children in this school are progressing as well as children in similar circumstances. So congratulations to you, Broadford Primary School. You are a great state school of the week. Well, our time has run out and it's time to say goodbye for now. And uh, we urge you to ring 3CR on 49419 to pledge your donation for this year for the Radiothon. Remember, of course, that anything over $2 is tax deductible. But from the team, from the dogs team, and especially from Dale, our administrator, and uh, myself, it's bye for now.
but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never. 